SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 54 with guest Grant Fritchley. Welcome. Our guest today is Grant Fritchley. Grant's a SQL Server MVP with over 20 years of experience in IT, including time spent in support and development. He's worked with SQL Server since version 6 back in 1995. He's developed in VB, VB VB.NET, C Sharp and Java. Grant volunteers at Pass, and that's where I first came across him. He's authored books for A-Press and Simple Talk and joined Redgate as a product evangelist in January 2011. So welcome, Grant. Thank you very much. And so, as I do with everyone, first time on the show, I get you to tell, how did you ever come to be involved with SQL Server? Well, um, I first started out in SQL Server as a developer. Um, I've Mm -hmm. been working in um, development for many, many, many years. And uh, I started off with databases, uh, doing a lot of database work. Um, I was working in Paradox, believe it or not. And uh, we were working also in Sybase. And that was right around the time that Sybase and Microsoft made the deal and and there became this SQL Server. So I started working in that as a developer. So I I, I was building applications against databases. I became a DBA later. Uh, I was working at a dot-com. We had gone through several DBAs. Um, They were having trouble keeping people. Mm -hmm. And I was working on some projects that involved SQL Server and I was having all kinds of problems. I finally walked into the boss's office and I said, look, here are the problems we're having. This one, this is horrible. This is horrible. We need to get this all done. When are you getting a DBA? Because I can't believe this is going on. And the boss says, okay, well, which of these things are you going to do first? Yep. <laughs> and suddenly I was a DBA. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's often that discussion about discussion about the accidental DBA. It's the whoever was standing closest to the server uh, right. uh, at the time one was needed. Yeah, yeah or the poor guy who didn't notice everyone else stepped back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, it's interesting, yeah, coming from a developer background and uh, where I must, yeah, I've kind of done the same. I've very much come from a sort of a development background, although I've sort of been involved in like systems engineering and things all through the 80s and so on and uh, uh, but still uh, tend to consider myself probably more of a developer bent do you what do you find that's different about that having a developer background brings to the way you approach DBA issues interesting question Hmm. two things two things that happens one I tend to be a bit more of a cowboy than a lot of my administration friends um, yep. The guys, the guys who came in from administration, are very, very careful and methodical, and you know they mm-hmm. approach the production server in a very serious manner. And I do too, most of the time. But every once in a while, I'll be like, "Hey, you know what the heck? No big deal. I'm sure mm-hmm. it'll be fine, and I'll dive into the production server and do things that I yep. really shouldn't." <laughs> mm. But um, you know, most of the time, I get away with it. So. Yeah. 
Um, the other thing yeah, in is, in fact, it's, it's interesting. Yesterday, I was uh, at a site, and uh, they have a guy there as a strict DBA role, and he's a very, very conservative guy in his approach. Um, but it was just interesting as we were doing various tasks, the level of, uh, I suppose you could say, almost backside protection, the the way he was sort of never assume anything, be suspicious of everything. You know, it was a it was an extraordinarily conservative approach, and in in some roles that that is needed. Right. Oh yeah, I agree. I do agree. It's just it's probably not the role that I would be suited for. <laughs> mm. Yeah. No, that's all good, and. The topic we really wanted to cover off today is sort of getting into your approach on query tuning. I suppose the f- the first thing is what leads you to be doing query tuning in the first place? Like what 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 happens that makes you go, I need to be looking at queries? Well, basically the problem most of the time inside of databases is not the server, it's not disks, it's not CPU generally, right? I mean, you... Mm. you clearly become problems, but most of the time, what we're looking at is uh, code. Code is yeah. the number one issue inside the database. It just is over and over again. And so when we've got slow performance going on, when there's something occurring that's that's going to be reflected you know, out to the users, out to the people who are using the system, more mm. often than not, it shows up as code. It shows up as, as this query is running slow, um, it's this query is in a deadlock. Um, you know, there's missing indexes. You know, all these things, and they're and they all just completely reflect out in the T SQL real quick. So it's yeah, just it's, it, it's just the place where I spend most of my time. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. The I, I find it fascinating. I often read articles from Microsoft product support, and PSS will often say, "Look, here are the main things that." Um, tend to cause performance issues. And I, I often look at those lists and I think, you clearly live in a different world to me, right? Um, <laughs> and and what's occurred to me over the years is, of course, that most of the issues that are real performance issues are dealt with long before anyone ever goes to product support. And so I think what happens is product support then gets a very skewed view of, you know, what what is it that causes most of the performance problems. Um, but what I find, yeah, exactly, is it may be 70% of my problems at least are basic application design. Um, right. And that's that's the thing that I think uh, is, is a very big missing thing where somebody just has a, a strict DBA approach. So, for example, I'd rather ask a question, instead of, if, instead of saying, why, how can I make this query run 5% faster? I'd rather be asking the question, why is it being asked 12,000 times a minute with the same parameters? Right, exactly. I've, I've, <laughs> it's so funny you say it that way because I've seen that mm. happen. Yeah, and I think that's a, a way more telling thing. And if I look at uh, performance tuning I've done over the years, the biggest outcomes I get are where, I'm, where I am able to change the application. Now, you can't always do that because it's right. third-party apps. But yeah, I, I see the biggest payback when you're able to change the app. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much been the way I've done it too. I mean, with a lot of the new tools coming out, you know, the Entity Framework, um, in Hibernate, some of the other ORM tools, uh, the code generated in some cases, not in all, actually the code yeah. frequently is great, but in some cases it's a nightmare. 
I mean, it's yeah. really, really bad. Not, not you know, oh gosh, you've got a function in your where clause, but you know, you've just turned this thing into a giant cursor, and you're mm. really, really hurting on performance. Um, but, but it's 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 interesting that the the code that allows you to to generate you know your application fast also allows you to dig really deep holes quickly. Oh yes, in in fact, it's interesting. Yeah, you mentioned that because I, I recall. With a lot of the early entity framework things, and actually even even back as far as link to SQL, uh, those areas, I remember the first video that Scott Guthrie did, and he sort of posted this video and said, "Oh, look, and if you're worried about the the code that's generated underneath, you can always just hit a breakpoint." And then he opened up a window and showed the code, and there were two reactions in the crowd. Everyone I saw see that. Um, one half of the crowd that were the developer side sort of looked at that and went. I'm so glad I didn't have to write that query. Right. And the DBA side all looked and went, who would write that? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you, know, I mean, you could just see that it was like, a you know, way more complicated than, than what was required. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I've seen those coming out, you know, time and again. It, it's kind of creepy. But, but you know, I mean, it, it's clear that generated code is definitely the future. Um, so it, it's a question of, you know, Figuring out how to work with it best is is the key. It, it's interesting too. I wonder, does that mean the SQL team at the back end needs to start to recognize the patterns that are coming out of the ORM tools and optimize those specific patterns? Absolutely. Uh, it's. It, you know, I mean, it. I think I, I put this back to my coming from a development background. As as a DBA, as a database developer. Um, as somebody who's worked on lots and lots of new apps inside of databases um, or, or tuning old ones, I definitely work with the development team to figure out what they're doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it that way. Because the fact is, is that I, I mean, I, and this may be hubris, I don't know, but I just assume the developers mm. are smart. Yep. You know, I just, I really do. I assume they're smart. I, I assume they're doing something for a good reason. And so I try to figure out what that is. And, and even if it's hurting the database, if they're doing it for a good reason, then I'll work with them to, you know, okay, well, mm. I know why you're doing it, but you're killing me over here. So let's, can we change this? Can we change that? Could, can you try this approach? You know, and, mm. and usually it works out pretty well. Occasionally, you know, you get the horrible, nasty DBA versus developer fights and, yeah, you know. What are you going to yeah, do? I, th I think I, th I see less and less and less of that uh, as as time goes on. I I think most DBAs realize they have to get more involved uh, in the development side uh, as as time goes on. I I look at the future of the product and uh, I really think there's probably far less of a of the, the low level roles. I, I think will I'm sure they'll still be there, but I right. think they'll be there in much much smaller numbers or fewer numbers than what they've been. Yeah, I don't disagree at all, especially with some of the stuff coming out with the the cloud-based operations, you know, um, mm. not, not even talking Azure SQL databases, just just the various virtual servers and stuff. Um, it's completely changing the, the whole, you know, we handle the big iron approach that, that people mm. have because it's, it, you know, I've never even seen some of my servers now. You know, <laughs> they exist someplace yeah. else, you know. and it, it is interesting, too, because I notice um, the, I've been putting together a session which covers off lessons I've been learning while working with uh, sort of SQL Azure or Windows Azure SQL database. And I do find I'm doing 
uh, I'm getting the best results out of coding styles that I would not have ever considered doing on-premises. And people get this idea, it's a case of just pointing your connection string to the cloud, and I, I just think that nothing could be further from the truth. True, true. Well, I mean, it's funny because, I mean, I've been working with them a bunch lately too, and what I feel like I'm doing is going back in time. Um, I, yeah. I'm noticing that I'm going back to my, to my old uh, client-server applications, you know, only move the data you need to move. Only move it when you mm -hmm. need to move it. You know, tr transactions are short, right? It it it's very much the old school style in order to you know take into account that hey you know that database it might move you know mm -hmm. at a moment's notice. You're never going to know, so you've got to make sure your code's written and your application and your and your queries all can deal with that fact. And so it, it's kind of funny because it it it's at least to me it feels old not yeah. not new it's kind of kind of weird but yeah i suppose the the thing i'm getting at is that for example i had a table sitting in the cloud that i have local data and i'm performing like a sync operation where i'm saying insert these rows if they don't exist or All right. update them if they do straightforward sort of stuff and if that was on premises now i'd quite happily use a merge statement oh yeah but i found the latency in the connection kills me when I'm doing a merge. Right. Yet what I ended up doing instead is building an in insert or update trigger in the cloud and then just sending inserts so the whole thing just streams up there. But right. then the, the trigger does the update if the row already exists instead. And I, I was getting extraordinarily better performance than I do by, by doing a merge. Huh. And so... Uh, again, I look at things like that and go, I would not have thought to ever do that on premises. In fact, I'd I'd actively not do that. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm finding approaches like that are interesting for uh, high latency environments. I, I I think there are some very interesting things coming there. But but predominantly anyway. So if we're looking at on premises things at the moment, which is where most people are. Sure. So how do you go about finding those queries? He said, asking the person who <laughs> is in, into execution plan writing. But anyway, so how do you go about finding those queries? What's your best technique? Uh, the the ones that are causing the problems. I'm I'm pretty boring in this regard. I turn on extended events and I capture, mm -hmm. um, you know, RPC calls complete and uh, SQL batch complete, and yep. then I aggregate the information. Um, if if I can, like I, I and on a critical system. If I can, I will run 24/7 and capture all the data. Yeah. Um, if I can't, I'll run it. You know, I'll try to find like a very busy time, uh, either mm -hmm. you know a, a monthly cycle or whatever we're doing. That's you know some area where I know we're we're feeling pain, and then I'll capture those queries and then I run yep. aggregates. You know, which ones were called the most frequently, which ones mm. ran the longest, which ones, you know. Um, took up the most time if you combine both the frequency and and the time of execution, mm. you know, and and just okay, aggregate so those things together, and then you get a top ten list, and you know, it's a, I I I joke, you know, it's like I'm not from Australia, but you guys have this great phrase, tall poppy, right? Yes, I look for the tall, tall poppy. poppy. You know, I, yeah. I I find that that query that stands out, and then I knock it down. <laughs> yeah. And look, it's interesting you say that. I, it, one of the measures I have for when I'm done enough with query tuning because I think you're never done mm -hmm. is that when there are less
queries that are standing out. Um, <laughs> and, and so I find that when I first look at those aggregates, there'll be the top two or three or four queries will probably be 90% of the system resources. Right. And over time, as I knock them off, other ones will appear and so on and so on in that list. But eventually, I'll get to a point where it's the top 30 or the top 40 by the time you get to that 90%. And that's when I think I know things are starting to balance out. Right. Yeah, pretty much. That's, that's yeah. just it exactly. Now, in terms of the aggregates, uh, we should talk about the specific things that you're looking to aggregate. So I'm interested in your thoughts on duration and logical reads and CPU and things like that. So right. what, well, what's your take there? Uh, my take there is there all the measures stick, right? Mm. Duration is, is a lousy measure because contention adds to it and, and Yep. So you may not be there, so you can't really use duration. So you're going to go to logical reads. But logical mm -hmm. reads is not necessarily a good measure because you just happen to be moving a lot of data with this query, and it's not running long per se, but it's moving a bunch of stuff. Okay, yep. well, so you can't really use that. So we'll go to CPU. Well, you know, again, <laughs> CPU has the same problems, you know, that, that the measures are not going to be accurate. Mm -hmm. So what I tend to do is I aggregate on all of them and yep. um, try to, you know, and then cross-reference the list. You know, you've got three sets mm. of ten. You know, which which query is hitting all three? You yeah. know, or you also go back and look at your weight stats. And if you see, oh boy, we're really maxing out on CPU. I'm not going to worry about duration or reads right now. I'm going to see which queries mm. are using up my CPU. So yep. it, it's just. Uh, I wish I could tell you it was a science. You know, you do these three things and everything's cool, but but it's really still an art form. You've really got to, you know, investigate and make guesses and, you know, hit things yeah. in multiple directions because you, you can't rely on any one thing. No. And it's interesting you say that because, yeah, it depends what the system is short of. And so still I find most sites I go to, the SQL boxes tend to be I.O. bound. Yep. But that's not always the case. And so I am interested generally, though, in what whatever is going to reduce my I.O. load. And I just wish that logical reads were a slightly better measure than they are. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, you know, well, I mean, you already know, but, but uh, just for people who are asking that logical mm -hmm. reads basically talks about stuff moving in and out of memory, not just in and off disk. So it, it's painful but it won't always helpful, help, be helpful. Yeah. In fact, it's uh, it's one of the things often when I've got a performance tuning class, I sort of try and explain to people that if you're going to spend your time trying to make something that is 20 logical reads be three, then you're probably kidding yourself. But, right. but if you're talking about something that's 2 million and now it's 100, then okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, in, I mean, most of the time, that those sort of gigantic numbers that stick up are worth a look, you know, yeah. uh, somewhere along the way, and um, yeah, I think uh, unless, as you say, it's doing sort of like massive range scans of, you know, there, there can be scenarios, but even then, I'd be going back looking at why the app is doing that in the first place. Right. The um, it's like, what is the thing doing to consume that number of rows, and uh, could could it not have been resolved in the database, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. I I just recently did a consulting gig at a company, and they had. Um, massive memory problems. I mean, they were just completely and utterly memory bound. And, you know, so you think, oh, well, you know, you, your system's not configured correctly and you've got all these other issues. Well, you go in and dig around a little bit and they've turned off auto-update statistics. 
and yes. the statistics are like four months old. The query plans being uh, generated were horrifically bad, and mm. they were bound on memory because they were doing scans across multiple partitions, and it was just literally chewing up every bit of resource they had. And yeah. we ran, we updated statistics, and suddenly they didn't have any memory problems. Now they still had other tuning problems that we, you know, that that actually, you know, once the memory problems went away, then they hit I/O, and and they were suddenly going, oh my God, look, this is a, you know, wow, these are really bad queries. Mm. But but it was, you know, completely masked by the memory issue. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting. So yes, I I tend to find, but most of them are I/O bound, and so I do tend to get a better outcome looking at reads up front. Uh, but but as you say, yeah, it uh, it does change, um, and particularly as you start to knock those top queries off. But I do find it's a good indication of finding queries that really are problematic in in the way they do things. Yes. Oh yeah, it really is. I mean it. It's just, I mean, it, it was explained to us at the the past summit um, by Dr. Dewitt that you know disks just haven't gotten as fast as everything else has. Yeah. So the more I/O you've got, you know, the more pain you're going to feel. It's just flat out. Mm. That's how it works. So I mean, you do have to try to knock that down. I mean, it, it is so, a good measure, but it's just, you know, as we've already said, it's just not a complete measure. You still have to look at the mm. other stuff. Now, in terms of aggregating the queries, uh, I presume you also normalize the query in some way before aggregating it. Right, removing all the uh, parameter values. Parameters and things. Um, What sort of techniques do you use for doing that? Oh, I cheat. I use the RML utilities. (laughs) Okay, yeah, no, 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 and that's that's perfectly fine. So, yeah, maybe mention the RML utilities for those that haven't come across those. Right, oh, yeah, well, look that, I mean, just look up RML utility. It's a free resource uh, from Microsoft. Um, and the only problem with it is it does require um, you to have a trace output, not extended events. But um, yep. Jonathan Cahayas has a script that will convert them across. So those yep. are the two things you want to look up, are RML utilities and, and Cahayas. It's, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, if you look at the details around SQL Profiler and and the SQL Trace events, the they talk about it being deprecated for the database engine. Yet it's curious that nearly every tool out there, and including new ones that were shipped with SQL Server 2012, require Trace. Oh yeah, I <laughs> uh, know. Not, not not extended events output. Uh, I, I believe me, the the fact that they did the the beautiful distributed replay, I love that thing. Mm. It is but again, glorious. based on trace. All based on trace. Yeah, it makes me yeah. so angry. <laughs> but you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. No, so I, I think it's it almost feels a bit premature to be talking about it being deprecated. But anyway, it'll yeah. be interesting to see how that plays out. But you know, so other, and uh, do you tend to use Profiler, or do you just normally script it out and use Trace? I use Profiler very, very sparingly. I script everything mm-hmm. out. Um, I generally use Trace. Uh, most of the work I do nowadays, I use extended events. But but when I do trace, yep. I do script it all out. It's it's just uh, the profiler GUI is problematic in a number of ways. So mm-hmm. yeah, lots of T SQL. Yep. 
Indeed. Although setting there, setting individual bits and things like that, I often find profile is a, a good place for people to start right. if, if they're not used to, yeah, what all of the different columns and events and uh, and so on are. So absolutely, I mean, because you can you can set up the trace in Profiler and then just export it out as a script. That's that is yep. a good approach. Um, mm. It's just after having done it fifty times, you you've more or less got what you need. So yeah, you don't you don't have to sweat it as much. And so the approach is. Capture traces at interesting periods of time, normalize the query. So we're removing parameters and things right. and getting back to. So if I'm saying find me customer where customer ID is 12 and whether that's 12 or 14 or 16, it really makes no difference. We're interested in that query, right. not not parameter. And uh, it's important to normalize it out. Otherwise, you might be undervaluing uh, particular queries. Um, yeah, Absolutely. And so once you get that aggregated and you find that, hey, this is a query that's then a problem, what's your approach from there? Oh, well, then I go to execution plans. <laughs> I can't mm-hmm. help it, but I love them. Um, when uh, I get the query, you know, I mean, again, I can visually look at a query and frequently just looking at the query spot issues. Um, yep. I mentioned earlier like a function in the where clause. If somebody has a function on a column, mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's actually gonna... that's that's a really good point. I tend to call these. Uh, I know a lot of people do. They come from a developer background. They talk about code smells. Right. And uh, a, a code smell is something you look at, and it just immediately um, makes you realize that, that this is probably worth having a look. So number one, you said, was calling typically scalar functions. I presume. Yeah. Um, well, most, any, most of the time, any function. Um, generally, yeah. fun- functions on columns, right? Not. Mm-hmm. Not functions on variables or functions on parameters, but but functions on columns. Um, yeah, and those, so in the select clause or in the where clause. Yeah, the where the way, join. These are things that are going to be called all the time. Right. Yeah, especially especially in the where and the join because they will absolutely lead to table scans. Um, yeah. Now once you've done, I mean, depending on the depending on the query again, you do the code review, take a quick look at it. You can probably spot the stuff. Great, cool, wonderful. But most of the time, I have to go back into the execution plan because I want to know what the optimizer is doing. Um, and the only way to tell is to look at the uh, query plan. Mm. So it's, Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's worth people getting their head around to the idea that certain types of objects, things like views, for example, normally get inlined back into the query that they came right. from and optimized as a whole. Whereas, that's right, the minute you stick one of these functions in, even if it is a simple function, uh, that that just isn't what happens. And so that breaks, unfortunately, the sort of rules where you normally try and encapsulate logic. Uh, But in many cases where I see simple scalar functions in particular, uh, that they're nicely encapsulated but called from a selector aware, had the person just simply put that same logic back in the select, it would get a completely different level of performance. Yep. Yep, over and over again, it's it's kind of freaky and weird. Um, but then also the, another code smell is um, when they start um, referencing the objects um, from other objects. So they join mm-hmm. views to views, um, nesting views. You know, this view calls a view, which calls a view, which calls a view. Um, same thing with functions, a function that calls a function, which calls a function. Um, yep. That kind of stuff very quickly becomes huge problems. I mean, just nightmare problems. And yeah. and it's a shame because what it is is developers writing code the way they write their C-sharp or, you know, Correct. Ruby or whatever. I mean, it, they're using T 
T-SQL as object-oriented coding. And, and you know, so, so I can't get upset with them because, again, they're smart. It's just, unfortunately, yeah. they're also a little bit ignorant and don't, you know, and, and SQL... And well, frankly, ignorant SQL, of how SQL Server works. Yeah. yeah because the, the thing is, that's right, they're applying rules of encapsulation that are actually good coding techniques yes. in higher-level languages. Right, and T-SQL just isn't one of those languages. It's, mm. you know, I mean, it, I, I like T-SQL as a language, and it works well for what it's supposed to do, but, boy, you really have to play by its rules. If you try to force it into a different paradigm, it, it will hurt you. Yeah. And so nesting uh, of these objects, yes, I, I find the same. That tends to be problematic. Um, I, I think another part of the reason why I find that a hassle is it can sort of make it, uh, it obscures the code. And right. so uh, what I find is that somebody, I need a column, and instead of going look looking for a value and finding where the column is, I just find some view and then grab it out of that. Right. And then, then people can do that to my code and so on and so on. And in the end, you can end up with like a simple select. I, I saw one a, a few years back I posted that was like select distinct some column from something. And you look at that and think, how could that be a problem? Right. But that thing was a view. And then when you look at the mess that was underneath that, <laughs> uh, uh, it, and I think that's it, is it just hides massive complexity. Right, it does. I, I had... Um a similar thing with functions. They had nested them 86 layers deep. Mm. It was just, it was the most amazing and beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. It didn't work, but but it looked great. You know what I yeah. mean? It was just beautiful code. It, it just, you know, it didn't function at all. Mm. So f those functions, so n lots of nesting of code. Other code smells? Um, well, let's see. Um trying to think off the top of my head here. There's... I was going to say, one, one for me is the minute I see tons of temporary tables. Right. Uh, because it tends to be a particular coding style. So what I'll see often is someone will create a temporary table, select a bunch of data into it, do the processing very procedurally, select the rows back out of the temporary table, drop the temporary table, and you look at the entire thing and it just should have been a select statement. Right. Yeah, I've definitely seen those... Um... Or, or they build um, the data into temporary tables and then join the temporary tables together um, yep. in order to do the output. Those that that can frequently be an issue. Um, it, it's you know that's definitely one of the things you look for. Uh, any query that just goes on for pages. Yes. <laughs> you know, Actually, now that that's a really interesting thing you mentioned that. Um, it's one of the things I used to read years and years ago. Now, this is really showing age, but <laughs> back in the days where you'd be using 15 by 11 paper, right? Um, I have read a lot of material when I was back doing academic work where they said that the minute uh, a, a block of code exceeded a page of print, you started to massively increase the chance of bugs and issues right. simply because somebody could no longer visualize that entire chunk of code. I think that's still a rule, isn't it? Or yeah, and so it now, I mean, you get the same equivalent thing when you, you go into sort of a screen-based environment, but, but it is interesting. That's right. There's got to be some point where the, the longer that block of code gets, unless it's very logical, the chunks inside it, Right. You, 
there, there is some sort of complexity thing happening there too, where either the code ends up messier or the code ends up buggier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and messy code is a nightmare to un, unravel. It makes you crazy. Mm. Um, let's see, code smells. There certainly, um, anytime you're seeing um, hints, oh, yeah, that's a good one, query hints. Um, when mm-hmm. I start seeing query hints in there, frequently, the, the one I see most frequently, of course, is no lock, um, yeah. because everyone thinks that's the turbo button for SQL Server. Um, oh, and again, in fairness, in SQL Server 2000, uh, for a lot of people who are having issues with, hey, my reports when they're running are stopping me doing uh, the transactional work, basically right. they didn't have a lot of option but no lock um, at that point. But, yeah, look, it's worth mentioning. So what are the issues with no lock and what are the approaches to avoid that now? Right. Well, the the problem with no lock is that it doesn't lock, which is nice mm-hmm. because you think, well, okay, if a value is getting updated from cat to dog, I don't care if I see it as cat or dog as long as I get it back quickly, right? Yeah. And and you you explain that to a business person and they'll be like, yeah, okay, that yeah, sounds great. I mean, obviously a banking concern wants it one way, right? They don't want it to. Mm. You know, it's got to be one or a zero. Yeah. I don't, you know, don't give me cat or dog. Give me what's right. But what they don't take into account is the fact that it's not simply a column update that's occurring. It's index changes or page splits or page rearranging that occurs as data gets updated, deleted, um, or inserted. And you can, if you're doing a no-lock and it's doing a scan, you can miss rows because they've been moved. Yes. Or you can get the same row multiple times. Yep. And so simple so, example, I'm going down an index. It's based on a date. You change the date. You could have pushed it into the area that I've already gone past, Right. Or you could take one that I've already read and you could push it into my future. So either way, and it is really hard to explain to someone missing rows on a report. Um, oh, yeah. It's trickier to explain them being there twice. Um, <laughs> but uh, the other one, of course, because you don't either raise or honor locks, is that you could report on data that never existed as well. So somebody else could start to put data in and then roll the transaction back and yet there it is on your report. Right. So, uh, And that's a really tricky one to explain to someone later <laughs> when they look at your report and go, where is this row? And it never existed in the system. Yeah, yeah. So that stuff is, um, I mean, it's it's shocking how, how easily you can do that kind of thing if you're using a no-lock process. Mm. Um, for, for but it theory. is, of course, safe to use if you have read-only petitions and historical data and sure. things like that. So but, there are places still for it. But. Well, absolutely, and, and there and there's certainly occasionally going to be a situation, um, an, an exceptional mm. situation, where you're going to need to put no lock onto a query. You know, I mean, I, I don't disagree, but but. If you are in a place where you've got a read-only um, file group, you don't need to put no lock on because SQL Server knows that that's a, a read-only file group, and it will not put locks on it. Better still, if you've got a read-only database, um, SQL Server won't put any locks on the database. So well, it, it's a great way to get some good performance. Curiously, not quite, actually. It's one that came up in the master's program. We did testing on this. Oh. And if you have a read-only database... It doesn't raise locks. That's cool. But if you have read-only file groups, 
have a look at the locking. It actually goes through the mechanism of raising them, even though it doesn't need them. Oh, does it really? And, uh, it, it's completely oh. bizarre. So, but if you have no lock, then of course you know that's that's safe to do there. But yeah, I, I went back to them and I said, hey, look, you know, why is this thing raising locks against data that's in a and and again, it's just a, uh, it would have increased the complexity of the locking behavior. Huh. Okay. Um, so Interesting. I did so not you know that. Have a look at a yeah. If you look at the active if you look at the active locks, you'll actually see them raise against that. Which again, yeah, that that's an interesting one because it just made no sense to me at all as to why that actually be there. Yeah. Wow. I really it's thought bizarre. I tested. So, I'm going to go yeah, back I think, and do some more testing. This is great. Yeah, Thank there you. you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so as you said, look, lots of query hints. Yeah, I think lots and lots of hints, particularly uh, I would say index hints freak yes. me a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the one exception is if we're dealing with um, either XML data, um, the, in, the index hints can become very useful. Or if we're dealing with spatial data, the index hints can be necessary. But yes, glad to hear you mention that, particularly <laughs> in SQL Server 2008. It's getting yes. better as time's gone on, but yeah, like you could build spatial indexes, but the optimizer uh, not not so good at working out, no. working out what to use. No, yeah, but so. but but almost any time else you're seeing index hints, it's because people have got you know some sort of uh, non-sargeable uh, function that they're running on a column someplace, so they're getting scans instead of seeks, and they're trying to force SQL Server to do what they want. Um, they're trying to force yeah. loop joins. They're trying to force you know, uh, merge joins instead of hashes, and so they put in those index hints, and it's frequently an issue. And it's it's a really really bad approach. So oh, yeah. so for example, uh, the example I normally use in one of my classes is that people will say, oh look, I've heard merge joins are more efficient. Right. than hashes or something and so but the thing is merge joins require sorted inputs so right. uh, you go yeah in a merge join instead of in a join then sure but all SQL Server is going to do is it'll do that but it'll jam a sort in in front of that <laughs> and sort all the data before it pushes it in and and sorting it then merging it is way less efficient than doing a hash join in the first place yeah no kidding and and then you're also slamming your, your 10 pb more than you were before mm -hmm. and Oh God, yeah, it's just a million things that have gone wrong then. Um, but yeah, those so yeah, so query hints, yeah, that 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 is certainly problematic. Um, another one that I find quite a bit is that people don't get the idea of case statements. I find that case statements are amazingly underutilized. And so, for example, I'll see someone who needs to update a row four different ways, but right. they'll actually execute four update statements rather than having a case. Yeah, that's odd. Well, I mean, they instead of just um, looking at the values that are going to make up. Yeah, and passing through it once. Yeah, they'll right. often pass through it. It's it's again they think <laughs> I, I, in this situation I need to do this. In this situation I need to do this. But in many cases they end up hitting all of those rows uh, numerous times. Where uh, yeah, simply applying a good use of case statements would have made a huge difference to the query. Huh. Well, and then the other thing that that does is that the optimizer is going to create execution plans for all four of those statements based yep. on the values that you pass it the first time when it's going into cache. Mm -hmm. So it, one of the statements is going to be great, but the other three are going to stink, mm -hmm. right? Because it, the parameter values are, are different, and therefore the sniffing occurs, and which is a good thing most of the time, but, but it's going to create an execution plan that's not optimal for the later data coming in that's going to run that second statement or the third statement or the fourth statement. 
Yeah, mm. that's yeah, that's an, and actually that's that's actually a code smell too. Is when I see multiple statements um, instead of split out, you know, so that you have a wrapper procedure and then a series of procedures underneath. So each one gets its own execution plan when it gets executed, as opposed to as part of a single batch. Hmm. Indeed. Well, listen, that's probably a good point to take a break, and okay. we'll come back after the break. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track, or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. Welcome back from the break. Um, another thing I get people to do, Grant, is just tell us, is there a life outside SQL Server? No. <laughs> <laughs> of course there is. Um, big thing at our house lately has been CrossFit. We just started doing it about three months ago. And mm -hmm. so we've been um, you know, doing all the Olympic weightlifting and the crazy metabolic conditioning and all that stuff to you know lose weight and get in shape. Yep, it's um, it's fun. It's hard. <laughs> I'm sore frequently, but uh, it's uh, definitely uh, been very, very uh, enlightening. And look, it is an interesting one too, I suppose, for an industry where we tend to spend an awful lot of time in in seats. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's kind of creepy just how much we sit down. Um, mm. I've, I've thought about getting a standing desk or a walking desk or you know some of those things, but I mean, yeah. You know, I don't know. That it feels like a fad. So instead, I just exercise yeah. like a crazy person. Yeah, and and I'm so glad to hear you do that. It's something I wish I'd done all the way along myself. And the uh, it's uh, I, I find that um, I think as you get to older age, too, mobility is just the number one thing. You know, I, I think in oh, yeah. most cases. So just encourage people, don't just get chained to your desk all day every day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and listen, for those that haven't been to the summit. Tell us about SQL Kilt. <laughs> SQL Kilt? Well, a few years back, um, we were on Twitter, several people, and they're you know, joking back and forth about the upcoming summit, and somebody or somebody said something about wearing a skirt. I said, do kilts count? And mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, I dare you. I was like, okay, fine. I, I own several, <laughs> so no big deal. Um, I declare you know, um, the middle day of the summit. At that time, it was Wednesday, but normally it's uh, mm -hmm. Thursday. Um, to be kilt day. And the first mm. time there were three of us. And then the second time we talked to the women in technology and um, they agreed to sort of sponsor us or we sponsored them or whatever. And uh, the next time, um, through a little bit more advertising, there was about 20 of us. Then the third year wow. there was about 50. And now this year there was uh, 50 plus. I'm not sure how many. Um, <laughs> but it's just grown. Um, and mm. it's, it doesn't mean anything. It's, you know, you don't have to be Scottish. I'm certainly not. Uh, it's just um, sort of a celebration of women in technology and a chance to wear your kilt. That's <laughs> awesome. And so, actually, that's the question I was going to ask you, is if you had some sort of Scottish ancestry or how did you come to have some kilts in the first place? It, it was, uh, I was um, 
you know, like everyone else in the world, I assume, I was cruising the internet and I saw um, uh, an ad for Utilikilt, which is a, mm-hmm. an American company in Seattle, actually. That's um, the geeky kilt. Yeah, and it's it's <laughs> it's a kilt, but it's it's very much a um, sport kilt, if you will. Yeah. Uh, a practical kilt, and it's because it has pockets, and um, I fell in love because I you know I. I wear shorts all the time in the summer and, and I mm. you know, like, what the heck, let me try this. I got a kilt and it was wonderful. They're very cool <laughs> in the summer. They're not that bad in spring and fall. I never wear it in the wintertime if I can avoid it. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's just a great way to, you know, to deal with the weather a little bit better. And, you know, and, That's you know, it's a conversation awesome. charter. It, it absolutely is, and it, it's been an interesting conversation thing at, at a variety of summits here. Yeah, no, that's totally awesome. <laughs> well, listen, anyway, the, the area that a number of people might have come across you from is the uh, writings on reading execution plans. And if we just basic 101 with people getting started with execution plans, what are the main things they need to know? Well, that's actually a good question. Um there's a few things that you should be looking at. Um, just a few. There's, there's only I've only got uh, basic six items, right? That, mm-hmm. that you would start off with. Um, the most important. Actually, maybe that, even first up, just grabbing the plan too. Just oh, okay, maybe sure. just mention there's actual plans and estimated plans, and, right. and well, the difference there. Right. There's well, there's there's two. There's uh, let's get this straight. Actual plans are basically the same as estimated plans, unless there's a recompile that's occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really depends on where you get the plan, what kind of plan you're looking at. If you run a query and capture the plan or capture plans in after execute using the um, uh, um, trace or extended event, mm-hmm. those are actual plans and they will include a little bit of runtime information, the actual number yep. of rows, the actual number of executions. Other than that, those plans are exactly identical to the estimated plan, um, all the all the values and everything are all the same. It's just they have that little bit of extra data. Um, I prefer those if I can get them, but if I can't, my second choice is pulling plans directly out of cache using um, mm-hmm. dynamic management objects um, because yep. those plans are 100% the plans used by the optimizer. Even though they're estimated yeah. plans, they're, they are the, the final plan. If, there, if any recompiles occurred, that, that recompile was stored up in the cache, and that's your best place to go. So sysdm exec query plan um, joined against either sysdm exec uh, query stats or sysdm exec requests for actively running queries um, allows you to get execution plans. Yeah, so, so you, it basically you pass in the hash of the, the hash and then basically you use that to look up the plan, and that right. returns you the XML of the plan. Exactly, and then you can click on it inside of uh, Management Studio, and it will open up as a graphical plan, and you can look, you know, you can play with it from there. Yep. And, and so for a lot of people, it'll be a case <laughs> of, in simple cases, I find people will start with Profiler or one of these tools where they're low volume things. They'll capture a query that's problematic. They paste that into Management Studio or something. Control L or give me an estimated plan, and that's going to show them uh, a query plan. Right. And now, again, another thing I think is kind of nice about getting an estimated plan, it's great that you can do that because some of these queries might be very intrusive to run again 
uh, to to find out uh, what the actual plan was. So it, sometimes it is nice to be able to get. But again, the quality of that plan is going to depend upon the statistics that are available as yeah. to how good that plan is anyway. But that's a topic for another day. Um, <laughs> but so once we get a plan, where do we start? Well, you start off at the first operator. Now, the first operator is the one all the way on the left. It's the um, it's either maybe a select, insert, update, delete, and that operator. The reason you start there is because inside the properties of that operator is all the fun and cool and interesting stuff. Um, by that I mean things like how optimized was this plan? Is it a trivial plan? Did it go through a full optimization? Um, why did it stop optimizing? Uh, there's a thing called reason for early termination, and if it says you know good enough plan found then the optimizer did its job, found the best plan that it could find, and uh, this is what you're looking at. And that's a good thing to know because it means that plan, while your your query may be slow, there may be tuning opportunities, that plan is going to be consistent, meaning it's going to roughly come out the same way every time until you start Mm. making changes to the query. So maybe we just define... Maybe define a trivial plan right up front as well. Okay. Well, a trivial plan is a plan that can only be run one way. The optimizer really has no chance or choices in what it can do. So, for example, select star from table. Yep. No, nothing else, you know, no where clause, no joins. Um, that is guaranteed going to be a trivial plan because the mm. optimizer can't do anything but a table scan. Right? Yep. It has no choice. So you get a trivial plan. Mm. Um, but the minute you add an order by, that could yep. then change. Yeah, because yep. then it then it has choices, right? Then it can mm. say, well, I could do this or I could do that, or you know what I mean. It it starts to look at the table structure and make you know determinations. Do you have an index that I can use? Do you have yep. two indexes that I could use? You know, and stuff like that. And it, it it will do all kinds of crazy fun things. Some of them good, some of them mm-hmm. bad. But um, it, it's when there's no choices, you get a trivial plan. Plus, Otherwise, also I think yeah, worth mentioning things like DDL statements. So. Create, sure. alter, drop, grant, uh, DCL, grant, deny, revoke, those sort of things. There is only one way to do those things. Right, absolutely. Funny thing is most of those, there is a way to look at their plans, but most mm. of those won't actually show up in an execution plan, the normal yep. execution plan. There's, you, have to go, you have to hop up through a few hoops to pull up the plans for those, but mm. you don't need to because, as you said, there's only one way to do them. Um, yep. but, but if you're interested in what's going on, um, or if you know if you think you've got a bug, or I mean, it, it's, it's a it's a good thing to know that you can dig into that area. Mm. Um, but but it you know don't don't do it unless you need to, or, or yep. unless you're just got extra time on your hands and your periods. Mm. Yes. <laughs> so beyond that, SQL Server is going looking for a plan, which I suppose we should also say is not necessarily the best, but it's sufficient. No, no, it's like I said, that the reason for early termination, the reason it stopped optimizing is it found a good enough plan, right? It's not that it found the best plan or a perfect plan. It just found one that said, based on the heuristics inside of, you know, the calculations inside the optimizer, it said, yeah, this one's good enough, and so it returned it. Uh, That doesn't mean that there's not a better plan out there, that there's not ways you could tune the query. It just means Mm -hmm. the optimizer found what it thought was a low enough cost. Yeah, and again, the more choices it has, the longer it could spend trying to work out how to do it. Eventually, yeah. though, you actually want the query to be executed, right. <laughs> so it, well, it needs to could, draw a line. 
Yeah, and, and well, you can see the compile time in that first operator, so you can actually see how long it took it to figure out the plan that it's running. And some of those, mm. I mean, I've I've seen it take up to three and a half minutes to compile a plan. I've I've seen it yep. not compile plans for hours, but yeah, those are a lot of other issues. Yeah. Um, but the, so that the top other left thing, operator, we can see that. Yep. Yeah, and and a whole bunch of other stuff. It's just that's where you go to just to learn about stuff. The next thing you'd want to look for. Um, after that first operator, is you want to look for warnings. Um, there, it's going to be like either a, like a little yellow alert sign, like a little yellow exclamation point, or a big red X. Um, they, those, it's all kinds of different things, but basically it's a poke in the eye. You've got a, prob- a potential problem, I shouldn't say a, a real problem, but you may have missing statistics, right, which means the optimizer's making bad choices. You might have a missing predicate. Which means you know you've basically got a uh, a partition joint. Which if you yep. if you wrote it that way on purpose, right, no big deal. But if you didn't, <laughs> if you didn't know that that's what you're doing, it's mm. good to be able to get that. Um, Actually, that's that's something that does surprise me is that when I write a statement that says select from table comma table, right. then I do get those warnings saying, hey, this here's a red X going. Hey, you're doing a Cartesian join. Is this really what you're meant to be doing? Yeah. But what does surprise me is that when I write from table cross join table, it still often gives me those warnings. And I think, yep. like, I'm being really specific here. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, that that's one of those, like, like you were saying about the locking on the file group. That's an odd thing. I don't know why they do that. Mm. Since, since yeah. you are doing a cross join, hey, <laughs> I wanted to do a cross join. Yeah, so, and yeah, I, it's, it's, it's a conclusion. It must be just that they end up being parsed into the same thing, sort of thing. So, you know, in right. the end, it's Internally. the thing looking at how to do it is then going, "Hey, are you missing something?" Yeah, yeah, mm. must be. Um, another warning that's, uh, that's new in 2012. You could you could get them um, only in the properties prior to 2012. Is uh, implicit conversions um, yep. when you're con- you know when SQL Server is converting a data type for you. That actually can lead to scans again. You can mess up an index, mm. or not mess up the index, obviously, but I mean mess up the use of the index in the optimizer because of that implicit conversion. Um, and those now in 2012 are surfaced uh, directly in the execution plan as a warning, which is great yeah. to have. Hey, look, can you mention an example of that? Because I know uh, that's something that is often not well understood, yet it is a really common problem. Well, the the one the example I see most often is that people are storing their dates and times as uh, a string, or yep. they're passing it in as a string. Um, but most of the time, they're storing it as a string. Um, it's usually some old some old technology um, or, or an older design. Mm-hmm. But then they pass it in as a date time data type, and SQL Server will convert that for you. It's just yep. you you completely can re, you know point a, you know as long as the string evaluates as a date, SQL Server is more than happy to do the conversion for you, but it, it's invisible. It's under the hood, and that can literally cause scans against indexes because it's a calculation, and therefore it can't just seek to a value. It has to look at everything and do the calculation. Mm. So it's, it's, Actually, it's you know, worth very mentioning painful. too the string formats for that too. That people really should be being very careful about the string formats that they use for dates as well. Um, uh, right. Again, the site I was at yesterday, um, 
I mean, people have started to get the idea that most of the formats with dashes in them are problems. Um, but again, uh, the one I looked at yesterday was saying, oh, it's not a problem. I just write 29 Jan 2013. And I say, yes, that's fine, except if somebody had different regional or language settings on the machine, then all of a sudden that's going to go bang as well. So right. the, the one that I find is reliable all the time in all the data types is just the eight-digit integer if I'm after a date. So year, sure. year, month, month, day, day with no dashes um, because it's at least date invariant and, and so on. But the minute you put dashes in, uh, if it's an, a date-time data type, uh, then it is uh, language setting reliant. But if you have a date time two uh, or a date, uh, then it's not language uh, setting dependent. And I just really don't want to get into that territory. So uh, I find that yeah, still, if it's just a date, if you just write an eight digit integer uh, in, in quotes, your, your life is good. Right. Yeah, it does work out a lot better. Yeah, it's, mm. it's, pretty, it's you know, the, 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 all the whole implicit conversion thing can make you nuts. Um, yeah, I, I love AdventureWorks because it's got so many errors in it. It's a perfect example database, and they've mm. actually got um, implicit conversions inside some of the calculated columns, so it, it's easy yep. to generate the errors for for uh, mm. you know when showing examples to people. <laughs> yep. So we go looking for the little yellow triangles on the operators. Yep, they're worth yeah. a look. Yeah, and then after that, it's um, basically looking for the most costly operations. Now that's mm. that one's that's tricky because um, those values are all estimates and yep. they're based on statistics and like you said statistics is for another day because that's a huge topic. Yep. But the statistics can be wrong and that can make those estimated values wrong. Mm. And um, the one one key that um, everybody needs to know is those estimated values um, in an estimated plan and the estimated values in an actual plan are all estimated values. They're not yep. real numbers. Um, but exactly. So you're looking you're at get, an actual plan, you're still seeing estimated values. Yep, absolutely. And that's that's one that pe people, you know, miss. Um because mm. they think, oh it's an actual plan, these are real numbers. Nope. <laughs> they're still estimated. Yep. But they're the only mm. numbers we get, so we're going to use them. You look for those co high cost operations and figure out if, you know, is that a real number or not. Um, like f we were talking earlier about the functions, a table-valued function, a multi-statement table-valued function, will have a cost of zero on most plans because um, it has no op uh, it has no um, statistics, and so the yeah. optimizer will assume one row, and even mm. though it may return a million rows its estimated cost is going to be zero because it's only returning one row. Yeah, yet it so could be that one's, the most expensive part of the query. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, that, that could be killing you. So, I mean, you've got to, you know, while, while I you know, do say look for most costly operators, you also have to look at what the operators are, you know, mm. to, to understand, you know, what's going on. Actually, um, good question. How do you find the biggest numbers when you've got a big plan? Well, for you know, you know, medium-sized plan, 40 to 50 operators, um, I just look. But yeah. as soon as I start getting past that, I start. Um, I'll use xQuery um, because mm -hmm. every query plan is XML, so I can use xQuery to you know say, well, okay, which which you know, here, select the operators, order by estimated cost. Boom. Yeah. And and now yeah, I'm it's just, exactly yeah. which ones are the most costly. 
one of those things you think they have some graphical way of doing directly inside the uh, the plan viewer. It's worth noting though that in the SQL Azure in the um, in the portal yeah. for that, it does have things that help you go off and find those operators. Yeah, I was just working on a series of blog posts about that, so yeah, mm. it does. Um, then there's there's third party there's a third party tool. I mean, I I, I realize I work for Redgate, but Simple yep. Century has got a fantastic tool in the Plan Explorer, and yep. it will allow you to resort the um, objects. So if you don't want to sit and write xQuery, um, go talk to those guys. Mm. Indeed, <laughs> yeah. As it's, uh, yeah, navigating around larger plans. Um, the other thing a lot of people aren't aware too, just in that bottom right-hand corner, there's a little navigate. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, I meant to mention that, yeah. <laughs> button, yeah, which I find people just completely unaware that it's there. So, yeah, the thing it allows you to move around within a plan. Right, and that's and that's what I use when I'm looking at, like I said, that medium and small plans. I just go there yep. and just you know cruise through and look at the different operators real quick. We should mention the width of lines as well. Yeah, funny enough, that was my very next mm-hmm. statement. Uh, fat pipes and um, fat pipes the, exactly. Yeah, fat pipes. The the pipes are just those little lines that are connecting up the operators inside the plan, and uh, you see it's a little arrow. Um, some of them are thin, some of them are fat. And the bigger they are, the more, you know, it's just literally a, a direct representation of the amount of data being moved. And the thing that you want to look for is really fat pipes over on the right-hand side of your plan going down to really thin pipes over on the left-hand side. Yeah. Um, because what that's showing is, is that you're accessing huge amounts of data, um, but then filtering it later. And you really yeah. want to try to filter it up front. So so it's doing some kind of scan or, or something that, that's, you know, costly so that's yeah. a it's a great indicator but also yeah, that's if you a great see, point so where you see big pipes on the right and they end up as little pipes on the left all we're saying is that to get a little amount of data you're reading a very large amount of data right also if you see um thin pipes turning into big fat ones you're multiplying mm-hmm. data <laughs> yeah so that's another one to look for and then the really scary one is when you see um thin fat thin um, mm. And that's that's it's doing some really odd calculations inside of uh, the the plan. You've probably you're probably hitting 10 dB. Um, it's all kinds of issues are going on. That's one that always makes me freak out and run in circles. Um, yep. But but you know so it's just something to look for. If you see that, give me a call because I want to talk to you. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Most most of the operators. I mean, when you hover over them, you see an awful lot of details. What are the main things you go looking for in there? Um, nowadays, I don't. Um, I mm-hmm. skip right past the tooltip and I go to the property sheet um, yep. because the, the property sheet has got more details. So, for example, if you're looking at a, an index scan or a um, or hash join, say, let's say a hash join. So there's going to be two values you want to look at in the hash join. You want to look at the key values, so what's it joining on, and you want to look mm-hmm. for any residual values, which is a, a secondary filter. And those properties, sometimes the key value is usually in the um, tooltip, and the residual can be, but it isn't always. And yeah. if, it's a, if it's a big residual, you're going to have to go down to the property sheet and pull it from there. So I always yeah, it's, just it's look at the properties concept. directly now. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a good concept. I find that, again, people don't seem to realize that yeah, you're shown a little bit visually. The tooltip has more information. The properties window has more, but there's probably even more again in the XML itself. So it, it's, right. well, there's, 
you're getting different levels of info, but most of it is there in the properties window. Yeah, yeah, the properties window is just that it's you get in the habit of having that up, and it just will make your life easier, right? Hmm. Instead of having it, <laughs> you know, just yep. you click on the you click on the thing, and, and it'll show you all the information you need. And you click on the next hmm. one, it shows you the information. So it's just a good habit. Um, yep. Other than that, it's um, then it gets down into just weirdness, looking for you know uh, <laughs> the way I, I call it. Um, I look for porn, mm-hmm. which is uh, <laughs> a real weird way to talk. But in America, there was a judge um, back in the 70s who was asked to, you know, define pornography, and he based his basic definition was, "I know it when I see it." Yeah. And so, it's looking at the operators is trying to find stuff that stands out, things that shouldn't be there. You know, why do I? You know, I have. There's a sort operation, but I don't have an order by statement in my query. Ah, mm. that's porn, right? That's a problem. Yep. That's something to look at and figure out what's going on. Um, and it's basically any kind of query, you know, any kind of the operators that you either can't explain why is that there, or wow, I've never seen that one before. Right there, that's also one that you need to take a look at. But but then yeah. that's. You know, it's interesting, yeah. I find from my development hat and that side, what I one of the things I like with execution plans is not necessarily to stare at them and go, "What's wrong?" I I tend to hope that with most queries, if I've written it, then I have an idea in my head how that would be done, and sure. then I'm interested to see if that is how it is actually done. Right. Yeah, if, it, if you know, it's like, okay, well, I've got a good index here. I put the where clause in. It should use that index. And you go and look at the plan, and it's like, okay, it's doing a scan. Why is it doing a scan? I've got a good index. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's the, the thing. The is that you get the, yeah, the typical questions you get from people is that, that's right, why is this query that looks like that query so very different? Or, you know, why is SQL Server ignoring this perfectly good index that I've supplied it? Uh, right. Or when when I tested it, it used it, but now it's not. You know that, those sorts oh, of yeah. things. Oh yeah, or, or you know my favorite. Well, it's the same query, same parameters, or no, I'm sorry, same query, um, different day, different execution plan. What the heck happened? Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, and, and simply that the data itself is is different. And in fact, it's something I was explaining to someone at a site yesterday. Again, is that you're sort of analyzing a query and sort of looking at the plan, and he didn't have a value for one of the, uh, the a thing that was being used in an AND predicate. And so he said, oh, let's just analyze it without that AND predicate. And I went, oh, hang, hang on. <laughs> you know, like, um, you know, like just trying to get the idea that that could fundamentally alter um, how that's going to be done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No kidding. That that I mean, because if you've got compound keys or some you know some kind mm. of index, that may be completely what it needs to be able to you know to yeah you you could be just completely wasting your time yeah have, having a look at that and sure. actually the one that one that was quite interesting I found yesterday too um I was working at a site and there was this interesting issue with a cursor and it was something that had come from two thousand and worked perfectly. Uh, but when they got to 2008 R2, it wasn't working perfectly. But again, one of the problems he was having is he was looking at the uh, the definition of the cursor and op- optimizing that query and looking at the query and going, gee, this this seems like it's okay. But the problem is that it was when it was doing the first fetch that it was then stumbling and taking forever. And of course, it's 
the thing you've got to keep in mind with a with a cursor is it's not just the how do I do the query in the first place is that if you have a anything except like a fast forward read only cursor then the fetch is really becoming part of that same statement as well when it's executed right. so it's kind of like you know they're being combined together to produce that first row so it's how is it going and getting that row you know uh, it's one thing to execute the query but and so it was interesting in that case a different behavior just changing it to a fast forward read only cursor um again problem completely disappeared a thing went from it was like 15 minutes to sort of save this this screen, you know, again, down to half a second sort of thing. Uh, oh, and it was just <laughs> simply that it was the interaction between the fetch and the, the definition of the cursor uh, that, that was the difference there. And so, yeah, I think you can never just look at part of a query and think this is going to give me enough of info to to necessarily look at the entire query. But I do like breaking queries up and looking at pieces of it in some yeah. cases where it's nested. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. The more the more you can break them down, um, you know, understand. Okay, well, how is it doing this? Um, mm. Makes a big difference. I mean, although as you combine them, it, it change. You know, it it's kind of funny because you can run two queries, you know, and each one will perform a certain way. But as soon as you combine the two, the optimizer goes to town and you know starts going through does something completely different. Yep. Yeah, you get you get a completely different thing. You're going, wait a minute. I had this all doped out, but uh, yeah. it can it can really mess you up or help you either way. I mean, it's uh, I suppose worth mentioning too that the plans uh, there's a SQL plan file type as well, yep. so they yep. are Got portable. That's actually that, really useful because if you hmm. ever need help, um, you want to go to you know Stack Overflow, Stack Exchange, SQL Server Central, um, you know the MSDN forums. And you want to ask, you know, why is my query running slow? If you can post the execution plan, you know, save it out as a .sql plan file, and yep. then post it, um, you're going to get a lot more good help than if you just, you know, either ask, you know, why is my query slow, or, or here's my query, why is it slow? Um, the mm. execution plan will, will make, you know, will get everyone who's trying to help you um, a lot more to work with. Yeah, actually, another really good hint, too, I think, when people are posting to forums and asking for help of any type is to also post the DDL uh, and, sure. and some sample statements. Because, again, don't expect people to sit there and mock up DDL and things to try and work out how to help you with your query. <laughs> Give them something that they can execute that, that will demonstrate the problem. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I, I guarantee you, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> My boss doesn't pay me. To, to make to make your database on my systems. Yeah. No, indeed. So, anything else in particular that really important to be looking at in plans? No, that's pretty much it. Those are the general things. I mean, the fat pipes, the extra operators. Oh, uh, scans. I mean, scans are not yep. necessarily a bad thing. Um, and you know, scans are not necessarily bad. Seeks are not necessarily good. But but scans are an indication of. Um, a lot of data movement, you know, I mean, and, and yep. going back to what we talked about right at the beginning, you know, you know, logical reads may or may not be a perfect measure, but the more data you're moving, the more likely you're having issues, right? It's just, mm. so, so scans are an indication of data movement, so it's something you look for. And in this case, we're talking, sometimes it says table scan, sometimes we're talking clustered index scan. Right. Or an index scan. Or an index scan, yeah. It's actually interesting that 
because the optimizer will look at um, the size, the number of pages in uh, an index, and if it can satisfy a query against a non-clustered index by scanning it, um, it will use that over a clustered index if the mm. size is smaller. Um, because if you know if it's going to have to hit some substantial portion of a bigger index, it will go to that smaller index and use that instead. I mean, it, yeah. it's a the optimizer is a smart cookie, man. It's it's really an amazing mm. piece of uh, coding. It, it you know it, it, we talk so much about the problems it has um, because you know we we deal with the problems mostly, right? Yeah. But but you know it's doing great things for us all day every day, and just it's kind of easy mm. to ignore, take it for granted. Um, yeah, that's but, a really good point. Is that that's right? Even even if an index isn't structured to help with the query, if it completely covers the query in terms of providing all the data, then that's right. Reading that may be way less work than reading the entire table. And so it's kind of interesting too. It's you get the same argument with people where they talk about subset indexes, and they say, yeah. oh, it's no point having an index on A and B if you've got an index on A, B, and C. And I go, ah. Oh, Mm, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> right. right. I mean, I mean, if the most important query in the system is only involving A and B, uh, you know, there, there may be an argument for just having that in the in the in the index all by itself. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you know, and again, depending on the query, the optimizer will make that choice for you. Right. You don't have to mm. put an index hint on or anything. I mean, it'll it'll jump right on there and say, oh, cool, this this index is you know a thousand pages smaller. I'm going to use it. Yeah, yeah. No, I find it does a really good job of that. One that surprises me though is that if I have a table and I create uh, an index that, let's say, um, is based on a different key but has every column in the table, and you think, mm, okay, that's kind of strange. But if I have an, uh, a query, it seems to always prefer the the non-clustered covering index there rather than the underlying table in that case. And I, it's, again, it's a weird sort of optimizer thing. I, I don't know why it seems to do that. Yeah, that's, well, that is an odd one. I mean, the, mm. but it just, huh. So it, I, I, know I just sort of wonder if there's a, a rule in that. Yeah, there's a bias towards that. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Huh, awesome. So that's I do wonder if it applies <laughs> a rule that says, yeah, is there an index that already has all the things before it then goes off and looks at and compares that to the table itself. So, yeah, and I often wonder how that works. But, I mean, it is fairly rare to have indexes that have you know, all the columns in the table anyway. So, yeah. Well, unfortunately, it's not all that rare. It might... Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I did see the one where the, guy, yeah. where the guy had five, it should be. The guy had like six different indexes, and every single index had every single column in the include. So, like, he had like yes. one, you know. Oh, man. <laughs> that was a yep. nightmare. Actually, the other, the is, the other, why is my insert so slow? <laughs> yeah, the other really big smell there uh, I find all the time is yeah, people who just simply create single column indexes on every column in the table and oh, it's like, yeah. whoa, <laughs> you know, like that, that's probably not likely to be real useful that one. Um, but but again, somebody's you know got the idea that this, this is kind of a good idea to do this. But yeah, it uh, turns out to be tragic. Actually, the other thing I do want to mention in terms of query plans, the thing that surprises people uh, often is how messy plans are for inserts, updates, and deletes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Delete. So like we said, the create, alter, drop, there's only one way of doing those things. But Insert, update, delete. Some of those plans are quite complicated. 
will be um, I have a, an example I use all the time because I'll say uh, it's again I, I like I use AdventureWorks um, as my for my examples when I'm doing presentations yep. because anybody can then grab it and do you know run it mm. they don't have to do anything special. Um, one of my favorites is delete from product. Right, so yes. it's like the simplest little statement: delete from product, delete from product customers, ID, the same. Too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and delete from customers, the same. It's amazing. You know, you say, okay, well, that's going to be real simple, and you open up the execution plan, and it's got like sixty operators in it, mm. at least sixty. And it, what it's doing is it's going through all the foreign key constraints and doing yep. a, a check to validate the data. Um, and the fun part of that one is that. You can tell which tables it's checking, but you can't really tell how it's doing the check until you look at the assert. There's an assert mm. operator, and the assert operator has got this really funky formula in it, you know, and so it says where expression 0052 equals this or where expression 0053 equals this. And you, the only way to figure out which of these expressions it's hitting is to go back through all the operators and look at the outputs and figure out, okay, well, oh, this table, you know, which is I don't know, product color is expression 53. Okay, cool. Now I know that. You know, and, and you've got to walk back through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, I find if I, crazy. <laughs> if I do a query for like delete a customer where customer ID equals something or other in AdventureWorks, it's interesting. Yeah, the plan comes back and you can tell all of the different foreign keys that have been declared and it goes off hitting those. But again, as you read across, you'll see this one's a seek, this one's a scan and so on. And so yeah. you can tell just straight away what sort of indexes have been put on the foreign keys in in those other tables and uh it's surprising yeah again even in adventureworks the number that end up just having straight out table scans in every one of those simply because oh, yeah. there is no index on on that foreign key and so yeah again for me one of the things we go looking for all the time when doing some sort of health check is i go looking for declared foreign keys where the Foreign, the keys are, uh, are not the left-hand component of at least one non-clustered index. So, I mean, right. long story, but the the bottom line is that that's right. We in foreign keys aren't indexed by default in SQL Server, and and I would contend they probably should be, because even though you can invariably build a better index, uh, the amount of pain that's caused by none is is amazing. Yeah. Oh no, I agree. I, I I'm surprised. You know. I, it's kind of funny because, like, you think back on your learning curve, and I remember, you know, I mean, it was a very long time ago now because I'm old, but I remember thinking, oh, well, foreign keys must be just like primary keys, and it's got an index on it. And mm. I was a little shocked when I found out that it didn't, uh, which is yeah. probably why I remember it so well. Uh, and, of course, it's deleted <laughs> things where you, where you, yeah, you really pay the price. So it's, I go to delete a customer, and, and there's an orders table with, you know, a billion rows in it that say, you know, here's the customer. I mean, I'm going to have to go and read that whole table to to find out if if that customer's in there anywhere. And I mean, in the middle of deleting that one row of customer. I mean, it's, so yeah. Sometimes those plans, like the inserts update, uh, the deletes uh, updates and deletes in particular, can get really, really nasty. Well, and also the fun, the very fun part about that is that when someone tells me, oh, well, my my database is primarily right, I always go, yep. really, cool. Let's take a look at that, you know. What I mean? And you sort of look, yeah. you walk them through, you know, how to look at the, you know, the the index access statistics and stuff. And sure enough, almost every OLTP system I've ever seen is still primarily read. So yes, it, it's, 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 it's it's funny you mention that. I, I, 
you know, I've got a, a, a site in Sydney I work with, and they do about 10,000 inserts a second, right? Ooh. But even then, when I look at their load, it's primarily read. Really, and and oh, yet wow. I have pe- I have people all the time who, when I say to them, you know, what percentage of the time do you think the system spends reading and writing? I I always hear numbers like ten percent, twenty percent, thirty percent. Every time I look, it's two, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, or something like that. And so, while they're important, you know, I tend to probably lean towards a lot more indexing than what some people are comfortable with, but. Right. I'm going to optimize for the 98% of the load, yeah. not for the 2%, unless that 2% is incredibly critical. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's funny. And, I mean, I, I, I worked with a team, um, smart guy, uh, one of the lead guy was like the, the one true index person, right? There's the input, one yep. index on the system and you're done, right? <laughs> so it was, you know, and, and boy, the arguments we had, I'd be like, just one more. We just put one more right mm-hmm. here. It's going to be a huge deal. He fought it tooth and nail, but it really, it really would help. You know what I mean? Having having another index is not necessarily very painful. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Like even uh, again, I was involved in a white paper a little while ago, and some of the folk in Microsoft, and you know, they had figures in the paper where they were talking like forty percent write load, and. And I was saying to them, do, do you ever see that? You know, like I, I, I was yeah. really struggling to, to convince them that that's just not a realistic number. But every time I've gone looking, I in typical transactional systems, it is so rare to, to see high write loads. It, it just really is rare, and, and certainly in my world. Yeah, well, same here. I mean, I, 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 I do know of at least one system, um, not one I manage, thank God, um, that is primarily right. Um, mm. I, I know. I know the person who manages it, and I, trust me, he knows what he's doing. Um, but but mm. they've actually he's actually got a system that's almost exclusively right um, during the day. But then it, every night it you know go, it turns over and does a whole yeah. bunch of reads. Um, but but man, it, it that's abnormal. You know what I mean? It's mm. a really abnormal situation. Um, yeah, you know, there is this this sort of myth where people say, "Oh, the more indexes you have, you know, the slower data manipulation operations will be." And I mean, boy, that's a very broad statement because, yes, yeah. they have to be maintained. But as we said, if you go to delete a customer, and I've got to read a billion orders to do that, you're not talking about slowing down data manipulation operations uh, by having an index in place. I mean, you're talking about radically improving them. Or if I go to update some row in the table and it's not based on the primary key or something well uh, let me tell you i have to find the row before i can go and update it so i mean yeah again something that's going to avoid me reading the entire table to do that could, could have a profound impact on on uh sure. positively on on an update statement oh yeah oh yeah huge i mean just night and day it's 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 mm. great you know it's it's fun to be able to be the guy that walks in puts you know puts one index on the table you know, and, and takes a query from you know running and the world two changes. Hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah usually seconds. that the, <laughs> the low hanging fruit or the tall poppy thing, yeah, uh, usually can deal with most of those pretty quickly. But but listen anyway. So thanks for your time today, Grant. And so look, no where problem. where will people come across you um, in upcoming days and months? Wow, I'm I am getting around. This is we're we're starting to move into the tour season. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, the first one is uh, SQL Saturday in um, um, Silicon Valley. Uh, that's yep. coming up in February, and um, in March I'm going to be at uh, 
in Connecticut at the uh, um, SQL Saturday um, New Haven. Um, mm-hmm. And then April, we will be at, uh, me and Steve Jones will be at uh, SQL Intersections with Paul Randall and Kim Tripp and a whole bunch of other really smart people. Uh, I don't know how I snuck in, but I'm, I'm happy to be there. And also, uh, <laughs> yeah, also SQL Saturday in Boston in April, too. So, I mean, it's um, yep. definitely a lot of stuff coming up. And I think I can say this now. I'm not sure, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going out to London for SQL bits this year, so I'm looking forward Wonderful. to that. Uh, yeah, I haven't London. managed to get here, to. Sorry, but. Yeah, I haven't managed to get to SQL bits yet, but I have so many friends do, and the f- the folks who run it, and uh, yeah, it is it is high on my list of I will get to it sometime soon. Yeah, I've I've, I've meant to get to like the last five of them, and it's just exactly always come <laughs> up, you know. And I love I love the way <laughs> the guys move it around the country too, so that that's kind of good. Yeah, magic. Well, thank you so very much for your time today. No, thank you, Greg. I really appreciate it. This has been fun. Great.